G'day, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to The Sound of Imagery. This is episode seven. We're far into the month of August, and I just wanted to say thank you very much for joining me again. Lee and Greg, how have you been? Greg, first of all, happy birthday. Oh, thanks, guys. Yes, it's my 48th. 48. I feel, and I sometimes I feel it quite strongly. Um, but yeah, I've had a good day. I've seen lockdown, so I've spent the day with uh, my kids, and they've cooked for me all day and bought me dinner, and uh, we've just played video games and spent a lot of time on the couch. It's been absolutely resplendent. Nice. Very nice. And Lee? Yeah, yeah also in lockdown, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you sound very, very happy about that. This, this is me being positive. <laughs> you know, because I was raised, yeah. if you've got nothing nice to say, don't say anything. <laughs> That's true. That is true. That's a very good one. Well, let's get into the, the week of photography and videography, because what a week it's been. Not much has happened, but I've seen a few stories. All right. I want to start off with this R3, this snakeskin looking camera because they've really defined the grip on this camera. It's smaller than what a 1D series would be traditionally. Uh, I used to shoot 1D back in the day shooting weddings, but I quite like the size of this uh, camera. But something that really sparked my interest is this, when I'm framing the diarrhea mode. <laughs> diarrhea mode. Just, it brings <laughs> out too many bad memories. Yeah, let's just call that a working title. But yeah, we'll Working we'll, title, yeah, yeah. We'll, so we'll for that. For, we'll for those that are, later. <laughs> that's it. For those that aren't aware, the camera does thirty frames a second. And um, I watched a YouTube video on Peter McKinnon's channel. How many was uh, that? Thirty. Thirty. Three O. The big three O. So yeah. I'm thinking. I mean, okay, sports, wildlife photographers. I get it. But are you really not that good to time your press of a button to get that desired shot, Lee? Why would well, people shoot thirty frames a second? And Greg. Mm -hmm. over um, video well i mean i suppose i'm trying i'm trying to think like it again it's been i was saying to you guys earlier it's been a long day so i'm sure if my brain was more functional i could think of a technical reason why it would, i'm thinking something to do with shutter frame you know shutter speeds and just something to do with the shutter that it would be different for video because the way digital cameras at the moment capture videos they just leave the shutter open um, so that's why you have the, the 180 degree rule with, with shutter speed and things like that with video. So uh, I don't know. It, yeah. It'd be something roll, to do with that. Rolling shutter maybe. Yeah. Well, again, you wouldn't get, no. So rolling shutter is some, something slightly different. Um, shutter speed, what I'm talking here with the, with the 180 degree rule is that, so back in the day where you had film, film cameras for film, um, the shutter was, so you've got 360 degrees of a circle. That's, you know, the, the lens sort of thing coming into the into the sensor um and you half of that was blocked off and that was your shutter and that actually spun around mm. and so 180 degrees of your shutter was blocked off and that spun around that's how you got your shutter speed on video um so for example when, when we're talking about shutter speed on video cameras we don't talk about you know 150th or 60th we talk about shutter angles so you shoot at 180 degree shutter angle um and what that does i think i might have mentioned this before um, is that it 
affects the way that movement looks in your video. So if you've got a really low shutter speed, obviously everything's going to be really blurry. And if you've got a really high shutter speed, nothing's going to be blurry and everything's going to be really defined. But the human eye naturally does see a little bit of blur. So to get that natural looking blur, you do your shutter speed at double your frame rate. But so if you were doing videos, if you're shooting 30 frames per second, you would set your shutter to a 60th. Um, but if you wanted to, let's say, set your shutter speed to 500 um, and movement's not important, the way movement looks isn't that important because you're not shooting video, you are shooting stills. I suppose that could make sense because, again, with animals, um, you know, let's say we're following a cheetah or we're following a sports person running across a field, you need to set a really high shutter speed so that they're crisp and clear in the photos. Because if you were shooting proper video, they would be blurry because in video you want that natural blur, whereas in the photo you don't. Mm, so okay. I suppose that could be a reason for it. Mm. I think, yeah, I think, and also, you know, there's cameras, a lot of cameras now are starting to sell the feature of, um, you know, 60 megapixel stills pulled from 8K footage where you can actually pull a single frame out and treat that like a still image rather than part of the video. Um, but look, yeah, I mean, 30 frames per second is pretty insane. And yeah, Lee, I think it does come back to that question of, you know, how much assistance do you need from your camera? Mm. Like, you know, especially if you're shooting with a monolith, like a 1DX or a, full, a big full frame Sony or this new R3, the files are going to be massive. They will, yeah. If you're shooting lossless RAW and you're doing 30 frames a second and you're tracking a subject across the field 10, 15, I don't know how long the, it'll last before the buffer gives out, you know, that's a lot of files. That's a lot of data that you've then got to go and manage in post-processing. And I think it, it kind of makes us lazy in the field, but then we have to do all this extra work later in post-processing to mm. find that one frame out of the 400 that you took in a burst. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, this leads me on to the next question. I think it's disbalanced. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, this... I've actually, I, I think you put it really well because, like, I mean, I've, I've actually got a course that I developed called Fix It in Production, which, you know, there's, there's the famous saying, oh, we'll just fix it in post. And, yeah. you know, one of my things is, no, let's not, yes, we can fix some things in post, but how about we get it right on the day on set and then we've got a lot less work to do in post. Yeah, you um, can't polish a turd. Yeah. But you can roll it in glitter. <laughs> very good very good <laughs> yeah well that, i mean that, that leads me on to my next question because because most of these cameras right pro cameras and even the high-end mirror, mirrorless they have a, a shutter count before they die right yeah what is yeah, it like two hundred thousand, half a million yeah, shots three, before? 300 on average 300, 300 okay yeah. well let's push it to five hundred thousand, right yeah doing the quick math at 30 frames a second, let's just say you're keeping your finger down on the shutter button, all right? That's 16,666 uh, seconds, essentially, uh, from 500,000, 30 frames a second. Divide that by 60 and divide by 60 again, and then that's how many hours. So you're left with around about four, four and a half hours, let's say, 4.62 hours of continuous shooting before it dies. I think, now, I think that's genius. Think how many cameras they're going to sell. Exactly. <laughs> so what do you do if you're shooting a camera that dies and it's just out of warranty? Ooh. 
Nice segue, Lee. Nice segue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if it dies and it's out of warranty, contact the personally. I would just always contact the manufacturer. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't bother. I mean, if it was out of the Australian, you know, we get the what do we get? Two years. Well, five years for Canon. It's yeah. five years. No, no I just mean like it's under consumer, 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 yeah, consumer Guarantees Act. Uh, okay. Yeah, yep, two yep. years under that. Um, yep. But let's say it's fallen outside of that. I would always just go straight to the. I wouldn't bother with the shop because they no longer care. They just want to sell you a new camera. Mm. Um, to be blunt, but yeah, I'd, I'd call Canon or Sony or Fuji or whoever it is, and say, "Hey, what you know? What can I do?" I mean, and a lot of the big brands. I know you know I'm, I'm a member of the phony prof- the, the Fuji film, the phony, the Fuji the film professional services. I'm a member of that FPS, um, yeah, which FPS, uh, which means that I can send in gear to be serviced. I can get replacement gear if they've got it on hand, um, that sort of stuff. So. Um, yeah, I would always just, I would, if, I mean, if you're going to be shooting with a lot of gear and, you know, you're an enthusiast slash pro photographer, then join up to, you know, that sort of service mm. if your manufacturer is offering it. Do you think that's a reason why Canon increased their warranty uh, to five years on most of their models? Because they're seeing more frames a second, more, more people are taking photos and cameras could wear out and oh, therefore yeah. they want to keep them branded for that five-year period. You know, let's say yeah. I'm not going to switch it, you know, two years down the track, we're going to switch to Sony. Is there I don't think so because I, I think they know that, I, th- I think it's a throwaway offer because I think they know that after three years, most photographers are going to want to buy a new one. If you're buying a high-end Canon, mm. then you've got the money to buy a high-end Canon in three years' time, technically speaking, you know, like in, on, on average. I think it's like, you know, that whole, you know, like the, the um, manufacturer, car manufacturer's warranties, you yeah. know, f- what is it? Five years or fifty thousand, and then it go. Then this other group will come up and go six years or seventy thousand, and it's it, they're just they're trying to create a point of differentiation. That's what I believe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lee, have you had anything break before that shouldn't have? What did you do? Um, I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm sure I have. I'm talking camera equipment here. Yeah, camera. I've, I've, not, um, your not your heart. Not your heart. Not your heart. Not lockdown. No, yeah. <laughs> Chocolate. That's that's the that's the solution for those. Um, so you know, I actually I've been really lucky that 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 my, all my cameras of you know Touchwood have um, have I haven't really had an issue. And, and the times that I have had cameras break, it's been like a GoPro or something. If you'll pardon the expression, almost sort of throwaway. Where it's like, well, you know, I was you know that that was going to get smashed in a car shoot anyway. So I'll just you know, I've got three of them in a drawer. I'll just get another one. Um, but I have had issues with lenses in the past Mm. and what I've done there, there's a really great camera place here in Melbourne called the camera clinic. Ah, yes. Wayne rental. Yeah. Not Wayne. You introduced me to them. Is it Wayne rental? I can't remember his surname, but I remember his name was Wayne. Where are they? Yeah. I think it's Wayne. They're in Richmond. We we did a uh, we did an interview there, Lee. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yes. We did a, a whole yeah. bunch of and and so since since yeah, I remember you introduced me to him, and we did that interview with him. Um, yeah. And since then, anytime I've had an issue, because I was really impressed, mm. just chatting to him and and sort of finding out what he does and all that kind of stuff. And now, anytime I've got an issue with anything, I just I just take the lens into them, and they they sort it out for me. And they've they've serviced my stuff in the past. And when awesome. I needed to get, when I wanted to get my, um, my a7s Mark II converted to infrared, they did that for me. So, um, mm, wow. Yeah. So tell, so, me, tell me, tell me, me more about that. I've had a sensor clean. That's yeah, the only okay. thing I've ever had to do. I've been lucky. Okay. I want to, I want to do it myself. 
Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Most people do do that now. I think I think you can get those uh, swabs. You use the swabs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got my own stuff from Japan, but yeah. Oh, okay. Look at you, fancy Mr. Japan man. Yeah. So Lee, I'm interested to hear about that. Uh, you said infrared. What's all that? What's that about? Why uh, did you? What took you down that path? What What that was about? Well, I'm easily influenced. That's what that's about. <laughs> Um, where that came about was, um, so I, I got the A7S Mark III and obviously I had the A7S Mark II, which had served me very well for many years. Um, and the A7S Mark II is in perfect working order, but cosmetically it's not the prettiest thing because it's, it's been well used. And it's sort of in that condition where if I tried to sell it secondhand, I'd probably get so little for it. It's really not worth it. Mm. So I was sort of looking at it going, you know, so I've, I've got this really great camera that, I don't really need any more, but I'm not going to sell because it's not worth selling. So I thought, why not convert into infrared and just have a bit of a play with that? And unfortunately, I did that sort of just at the beginning of, I don't know, lockdown three, lockdown four, I, I lose track. Um, and so I haven't really had a chance to really have a good play with it and really get my head around how infrared works. One of the ideas that I had was that I wanted to experiment with doing infrared time lapses. And see what kind of look and feel I could get from those. Um, but generally, for time lapse, like time lapses work really well when you have crowds, mm. which is challenging during lockdown. Yeah. So um, I, can, I can just see it now, Lee. You, you, you go and shoot, you know, the, cut, the client that says, oh, we want something different. Go and shoot it in infrared. And they're like, oh, the footage is really good, but can you change it back to color? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is this is why it's very important to have good cons good productive pre-production meetings with your clients. Yeah, they'll and just they, say like you, you just they'll fix it in post, right? Yeah. Well, they, yeah, yeah. Just make sure that everything is discussed in pre-production, <laughs> and you've got yeah. everything in writing. Cover your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. That's there's it. a company. That's it. There's a company. I think it's here in Melbourne. I'm sure they're everywhere, but. And they actually convert coloured censored cameras to monochrome. I don't know how they do it, whether it's just a software fix or they actually completely change the sensor. But I've known a few people that have done it with their Fuji films, like their old XT10s and XT20s. Mm. Yeah. And I don't get it. Unless it's that same situation where you've upgraded to a new XT4 anyway, you've got the XT20 sitting there in the drawer. What the hell? I'll spend the 150 bucks and get it converted to monochrome only. Mm. But I don't get that. I mean, yes, infrared I understand because that's a whole different kettle of fish. You can't replicate that with a film simulation or in your Q menu. You just can't possibly replicate that at all. The monochrome, especially on something like or on any camera, that you know, there's a very simple filter or film simulation or shooting mode that will convert it to monochrome. Yeah. Why mm. would you spend the extra coin? Well, if anyone's uh, listening and, and has done that, um, we'd love to hear in the comments. Um, yeah, absolutely. Why, why you did it and, and how it's working out for you. It's interesting you say that because one of the things like, so I've been, I know quite a lot of people who are really into infrared. And one of the tips that they gave me, um, particularly with the Sony cameras, and like you say, I'm sure most cameras have got like a black and white mode, is that for using, you know, to use the live view, um, when you're shooting infrared, very often, if you turn on the black and white mode, that will help you get a better judgment of how it's going to look 
in infrared oh, okay. by, by switching it to the black and white mode, because that'll just give you a better idea of the contrast. And obviously it doesn't show you the sort of the nuances of the colors that you're going to get. No, but the tonal values. Yeah, it gives you the, the, the tonal yeah. look of, of what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of liken it to, you know, if someone's got two cameras, why do they get a new one? almost uh why do they change it it's like the person with a watch right a really nice watch why do they have six watches well that's slightly different because a watch is is a fashion thing so you know you know why well, do you so is a camera yeah camera can be that how are you wearing your camera dude <laughs> you, know, you, you need at least three to be decent in public <laughs> that's it that's exactly right yeah i film everywhere 360 <laughs> i've got a very long lens <laughs> No, it's just happy to see you. Oh, dear. Oh, boys. Oh, come on. Okay. Well, thanks very much for tuning in on uh, YouTube. <laughs> That's our last episode. Um, sorry, kids, as uh, Uncle Roger would say. Um, for, the, for those who are actually... Uh, yeah, sorry, children. For those who are actually listening, um, you can listen to us on podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe because we need you. Otherwise, we're just talking to ourselves. The other thing is, if you're on YouTube, um, subscribe. You know what I'm, what I'm going to say. Hit the bell icon and make sure you uh, tune in every week because we're full of wisdom. Yep. And let us know in the comments if you've got any things you want us to discuss or you've got any questions. Yeah, yeah. Or if you just want us to shut up. We're full of a lot of things. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly right. Talking about full of a lot of things. Well, no, no. Go I on. was going to say, speaking of, speaking of segues and um, speaking of um, inappropriate things in children, um, I had oh, a, I, I had a, I had a correction from last week's uh, program oh. where I was talking about the privacy things that, that Apple had announced, and I was half right and I was half wrong because um, I had said it was mainly just focusing on text messaging between people and, and giving sort of parental controls and text messaging, and there is that function. But actually, what Apple announced was two completely separate privacy things. Um, but they happen to get get announced at the same time and people were getting confused. So mm. the one thing that we were talking about last week, I want to add a little bit more detail to that. So what that is, that's a feature that's going to be, first of all, it's opt-in, so it's not turned on by default, um, but it's going to be sort of like a parental control where children who are part of an iCloud family group from, I think it's from eight to 13 or six to 13, if they receive or try to send what the OS thinks is an inappropriate image, they will get a warning on their phone going, hey, this might be inappropriate. Do you want to accept it? Or hey, this might be inappropriate. Are you sure you want to send it? And from 8 to 13, the parent will get that notification as well. Wow, okay. From 13 to 18, the parent doesn't get any notification, but the teenager then will still get a pop-up on their screen going, hey, someone sent you something that could be a bit dodgy. Are you sure you want to look at it? Or, hey, you're about to send someone something that might be inappropriate. Are you sure you want to send it? So that's sort of what we were talking about last week. And, and that's a little bit more detail about that thing. The other thing that I said I didn't think it was, um, is actually something completely different. So this is more about scanning photos that are being uploaded to iCloud library. And it's, it's actually not scanning the photos as they're being uploaded. Let me explain. So first of all, there's this thing called CSAM, which is um, like inappropriate. It, it, it's actually, like it, it's child abuse photos. So it's, it's pretty heavy stuff. And there is in the US, there is a, a government organization. I love their name. It's called Knickknack. 
um, and for, for something really serious. And that is basically a database of all the child abuse material that has been captured from people that they've arrested and that they've caught sharing and creating this stuff. So they have this giant database. Um, and the reason why they still have this database, database and still exists is because obviously they've caught some of the people, but those people have shared it with other people. So that stuff is potentially still out there. Mm. So the idea behind this privacy thing that Apple's bring out is to try and find people who are trying to share or upload this really terrible material. And how it works is as the phone uploads a photo, um, now this so this happens on the phone. As the phone up, and if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure I know what's going on, but I might have some of the technical details confused. As the phone goes to upload the photo, the, the phone sends out a hash. So it doesn't send out a copy of the photo. It sends out a digital hash to the knickknack place. And it tries to match up the hash with any known hashes in the database. Mm -hmm. Now it doesn't trigger off of just one hash there is a threshold. Now they haven't said what the threshold did. So it might go, okay, we're only going to check if we see 10 of these hashes match the knickknack database, or it might be a hundred. We, we don't know, but let's say you reach that threshold and now knickknack goes, Hey, enough of these hashes have come out of this person's phone that matches the hashes we've got. There might be something untoward going on here. Then a person will look at a low res image of the photo that you're trying to upload. So you can't actually see details or anything that's going on in the photo, but you can see like shades and tonal and colors. And so, Cause it's mm. obviously very easy and quick to see even with just that, Oh, look, these aren't the same images. So it's, it's fine. Yep. Yep. Um, but then <clears throat> if it matches up, then authorities are brought in and, and stuff sort of happens. So that's the thing that they're introducing. And it's, it's difficult to, there are no good solutions here. Because on the one hand, you're like, something should be done. Like if people are using this kind of technology to do this kind of stuff, there should be safeguards and there should be ways to catch these people. Absolutely. Um, yep. On the other hand, you can see how there would be other governments or other organizations that could try and use this type of system to look for other images that they find distasteful like for example you could be in a totalitarian state and the government there decides oh if this person's uploaded 10 or even one photo of them with a dissident well we want to talk to this person now so mm. i definitely see sort of both sides of the argument um I sort of look, first of all, I'm an Apple apologist. I absolutely am. So I sort of see things from, from their perspective generally more than others. So I'm blatantly biased, um, but in, like it's stopping child abuse or it's trying to stop child abuse. So it's, yeah. it's very difficult to argue against that. Um, and I can mm. see how it could be abused. So I think, I think both sides of the argument have valid points um, and there are no, easy or good solutions but i i think Apple's but at the end of the day the greater cause is stopping child abuse yeah like, there's got to be there's got to be yeah yeah well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah you know it's, it's interesting like like my wife when i was telling my wife about this one of the things she said is like are these people really using iphones mm -hmm. like surely if they're doing dodgy stuff like they're using tor and they're vpning and they're using encryption like and i was like well you know most criminals are criminals because they're stupid yeah um, that's right that's right 
But yeah. so look, absolutely, you may not catch a lot of people, but quite frankly, if you catch one, that's enough, sort of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Even yeah. if it scares off people rather than catches them. Yeah, know? that's right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously we want them caught, but even if it deters a greater yeah. number, then that's yeah. a great, that's a victory. I think it's a really good thing uh, that technology, uh, you can do that. I was just thinking, um, you know, where it says a hash. Uh, that I instantly thought of, because uh, I do a lot of crypto writing, um, and I was telling Greg one day that I pulled an image into Photoshop and um, it was an image of actual fiat money, Australian dollars, and um, some notes and things. And I, I put it in and instantly I get a message mm. that comes up on the screen saying, hang on, this is money. Uh, you're not allowed to bring this into Photoshop and copy it. And I'm like, and I'm using 2017 uh, version of Photoshop, right? <laughs> so it's probably not even connected to the internet. Well, if you admitted to even that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, well, how does this happen? Is it built into the system? Does it need a web connection? Does Photoshop have a database? What's happening here? Because are they actually viewing all of our photos? Like, what's the deal there? Well, yeah, so it was instantaneous, wasn't it? It's, it's it was. Also- it's funny also you mentioned that because the other thing that someone else that I was talking to about this mentioned with, with the whole Apple thing is like, at least Apple is telling us what they're doing. Because I mm. can guarantee you, Facebook, Google, all these other p- people, they're just doing it. They're not telling us. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. It'd be very interesting to see what uh, Adobe does in that. So if anyone knows, write in the comments. Or is it, if you've had a similar experience and that you can recall from memory, uh, yeah. just write it down. Uh, talking uh, about memory. Hey, just before yeah. we move on, what, yeah. I was just going to uh, add to that story about pulling the uh, the image of the currency into Photoshop because we tested a couple. We, we did. Australian currency, it popped up with the warning straight away. We tried two or three other currencies and it didn't. Thai. Thai bat. It, it didn't. Yeah. Uh, so you can you can print that. No problem. Yeah, yeah. Go, <laughs> go for it. Go for it. No worries. Not that it's worth much at the moment. but um, Exactly. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, it was interesting. It was just the Australian currency that it instantly grabbed. Instantly. And I wonder Instantly. I wonder if you were on a VPN, whether that would like is it is it mm. blocking Australian currency because you're in Australia? If you're on a VPN, would it still try to block Australian currency? Was it because of the web connection? Was it or, or, or something it, already in? Or could it be because oh I'd I'd be interested if you tried New Zealand money because New Zealand and Australia first of all, New Zealand money is printed in Australia, um, but they're both plastic. Yeah. So I wonder if it's got anything to do with the fact that the the, the, the notes are plastic as opposed to paper. Maybe it makes it easier to read or possibly. Yeah, it really possibly. make it harder to counterfeit those. I mean, okay, yeah, even yeah, know. yeah, which is good. I mean, we want that. Um, but yeah, yeah. if anyone knows why Photoshop does that, is it is it built into Photoshop's code that it knows to look for this stuff? That's exactly right. It was instantaneous, right. wasn't it? It was. It was scary. It freaked, it freaked me out the first time I had I'm like, Who's watching me? And then I didn't <laughs> anyway. him, and so I made him, made him replicate it. Yeah, sure. That's it. So going back to this memory thing, uh, memory cards, guys, what's happening with the naming of mem- memory cards? We've got freaking 2000 speed. We've got UHS-2. We've got locks on them. <laughs> like to the person, hey, to the layman, what the hell? Is it ethical that they're advertising the fastest peak speed uh, for all of these, you know, C- CF Express and C- um, CFast cards? What, what's your thoughts, Greg? Uh, photographers like specs. So memory cards are absolutely covered in spec information. 
you know, and every little bit of information on a memory card tells you whether it's suitable for video and um, it tells you whether, you know, and, you know, whether and the speeds, the read and the write speeds. But to, to the average punter, all of that crap means nothing. It's like, yeah. how many photos can it hold? That's all I really care about. How many photos can it yeah. hold? And, um, mm. you know, if you're a pro and you're an enthusiast, well, then you've got a, you've got a fairly good idea what you're looking for and you at least should have some brains to match your memory card, especially if it's a, um, a one or a two or if it's a CF Express or if it's an XQD, um, mm. you know, you should match the card to your camera. But yeah. most people wouldn't have a clue what that stuff means. I'm going to throw something that. in here. Yeah, I'm going to throw something in here because I know camera manufacturers that say, oh, it's UHS-1 or UHS-2 compatible. That's the yeah. only jargon they use other than the card type. Then they, yeah. t- then they talk about like all this other stuff like, um, you know, V10, V30, V60, V90. I mean, that's video related, I think, Lee, isn't it? Um. Well, those, those are the classes, so they sort of will dictate, um, like, you've got to have at least minimum this class to capture at this, either, you know, 4K or, or this type of bitrate or whatever. Um, but one of the things I was going to sort of talk about, you know, one of my bugbears is, so with A7S Mark III um, and the FX6 that I've got sitting behind me, in order to record the highest quality at the highest frame rate. Um, Lee, we've lost your video and you've gone on mute. Well, I won't take that personally. I'll just keep going. No, no, um, just you and me now. I'm here. I'm here. Sorry. <laughs> um, you need to use a CF Express A. Now, for those who are paying attention at home, CF Express A is different from CF Express B. So you need a different reader as well. Um, oh, no. What is the world coming to? Seriously. And, and different different size, all that kind of jazz. So, so again, I know I, I sort of go on about this, but but if, if you photographers think you've got it rough, an 80 gigabyte, so only 80 gigabytes, 80 gigabytes will not store a lot when it comes to like 120 frames per second 4K video. Um, for the 80 gigabyte tough CF Express A from Sony, um, $369. Oh my gosh, that's expensive. And that's before you buy the reader. So add that to a cine cine lens and a body. What's what's a pro kit gonna gonna cost you as a minimum? A lot. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> Where's well, a mirrorless well, kit? Well, yeah. well, let's think. Well, again, pro is a, a very. That's pretty broad. Yeah. Okay. Not not re. Not re. Not red. Well, well, not even not even not even pro. You don't even have to talk pro. Like we can just talk. Let's just talk an A seven S Mark three. Yeah. Okay. So A7S Mark III, I think the going rate on that's about four grand, somewhere around there. So about four thousand dollars. Let's add a couple hundred bucks for a few extra batteries because you always need a few extra batteries just to be on the safe side. Um, then you need at least one of these CF Express cards. Um, so there's three hundred sixty nine dollars for an eighty gig one of those, just so you can get the high frame rates. It's dual card slots, so you can buy some, um, you know, like a, a terabyte. Oh no, 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 no. Like, but I mean, like you can buy like a. Like a oh, what were the ones that I've got? The the really, I actually got sent these for review like months ago, and I was Apple? supposed to review it. No, ProGrade, those are the ones. They're really oh, okay. good. Okay. I, I really want to sing their praises because um, the guy who runs them sent me sent me a few of those. Now they do everything but the top quality that you can get out of the A7S Mark III and the FX6, and they have been rock solid. And they even capture in the top quality, even though technically they're not rated to, to capture it that. Um, so don't don't do that because 
no no guarantee that it'll actually work but i've tested it and it works most of the time um then uh the card reader for the cf express a that's 239 dollars just for the card reader wow wow uh, so we're looking at like 700 bucks just for one card and a card reader oh my goodness yeah add that on it's, it's expensive so um how many kidneys do you have left how many <laughs> well i don't drink so mine are really top quality i'm holding out oh, there you go. i'm holding out uh, for a good price yeah okay so you've sold your children okay yeah no i i just want to work Not I children do, child i child. do I do good work and I get paid appropriately. Okay. You fix it in post. Oh, that's good to hear. Good to hear. <laughs> I well, roll it in a lot of glitter. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, on that note, I want to thank you guys for joining uh, this week's podcast. It's been fantastic. And remember, leave us a comment. We want to hear from you. We'll address it in the next episode. Um, also, um, make sure you listen to the in-between episodes as well, where it's unscripted and we go offline and hit record who knows what's going to happen so on that note gentlemen thank you very much and we'll catch you on the next one see ya thanks guys bye bye